Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. 1231 here on The Circle. This is the Fan Midday Show. Eddie Garrison dialing things up for us. Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes. We now go to the hotline here to learn more about IU's latest addition. And, and there's nobody better on the IU beat than, uh, than Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. Rabby, what's going on, my friend? How you doing, brother? Everything good? I am, yeah. Pacer season wrapping up, and so kind of start turning our attention to the offseason, and I guess that also includes the college game. And I know as I was sitting at the Fever Draft last night at the Fieldhouse, there goes the Twitter timeline blowing up about th- – this new addition to the IU roster, Kalel Ware. What can you tell us about him? Just based on what I've seen online, Rabbi, it just seems like length, a guy that can replace potentially Trace Jackson Davis as that center, but he has a lot of room to grow, and that's intriguing for this coaching staff, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things you look at first. You know, physical attributes is one. You know, this is a guy who was a national top 10 player coming out of high school, um, McDonald's All American. Team USA, played really well for Team USA. You know, he, he has really good length. Um, he's, he's right around seven foot. He runs, you know, the floor, you know, like a forward, not like a center. So he's got kind of things that, that Mike Woodson likes in a center, um, which is one of the reasons that, you know, former or other IU assistant, uh, you see a Rosemont, you know, really targeted where from the get-go. And I think the other thing you look at is, okay, what – what does the player project to be? And, you know, I think uh, sometimes people just get caught up on, like, the aggregate stats, you know. Oh, he averaged 6.6 points, 4.1 rebounds, 1.3 blocks. Okay. Well, yep, that's true. However, you know, one of the things you do when you project is you're trying to get a little apples to apples. And so let's let's look at that. And you look at Malik Renault, who had a really good freshman year for Indiana last year, projects to be a very good college sophomore. Per 40 minutes last year for Malik Renault, 16.5 points, 10.0 rebounds, 0.7 blocks. Per 40 minutes last year for Kelly Ware, 16.8 points, 10.3 rebounds, and 3.3 blocks. Mm-hmm. So Ware's projection is, is really good. And you also look at, when you're looking at transfers, you look at, okay, what does a guy do well? And is that are those attributes something that certain coaches really want to use? Well, with Mike Woodson, we know he wants a shot blocker. We know he wants to unleash shot blockers because Trace was sort of first two years under Archie asked really, okay, block out, block out, block out. Mike Woodson came in and said, to hell with all that. You're a pogo stick. Get up there to the rim and, 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 and block shots and alter shots and, and defend the rim. So Khalil Ware's you know, ability to get off the floor matches with what Woodson wants. His ability to run the floor matches with what Woodson wants. And, you know, he's a guy who actually makes some shots from the perimeter. So that's something else that, you know, Woodson, I think, in his ideal offense, would would want to, you know, incorporate. You know, 27.3%, uh, um, you know, from three, that's not going to scare anybody. But with guys about 6'10 or taller, when you start getting close to 30%, as we saw with Thomas Bryant coming out of high school, 
that starts to get to the point to where you say, okay, they have a chance to make something. doesn't mean they necessarily will, but it means they have a chance to. So then all of a sudden you bring out or bring a real four out one in type of scheme and system into play. And, uh, you know, and that, those are the things that why I think Khalil Ware is really intriguing specifically for Indiana and specifically for Mike Woodson. Jeff, where do you envision the, the key with where as the biggest point of emphasis throughout the course of this offseason and the lead up uh, to the start of next season? You mentioned the fact that he's not maybe a, a traditional, uh, at least at the high level that he's replacing in Trace Jackson Davis, back to the basket guy. They'll need to improve there. And then you mentioned the three point shooting, a little under 30%, but that's something that can be cleaned up and be more efficient. Where's the overall emphasis in his game this offseason once he starts working with Coach Woodson and staff? I think number one thing <clears throat> to me with Ware, just rebuild the confidence. Rebuild his confidence. You know, he, yeah, his first nine or so games out there at Oregon, he was really good. And then, you know, things just didn't work out for whatever reason. Sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes coaches and players don't see eye to eye. Just part of basketball, part of sports. But I think for me, the number one thing for Chloe Ware, number one thing for Mike Woodson and staff to do, rebuild his confidence. Let him know you're really good. We know you're really good. We believe in you. We've got a plan for you. Uh, so I think number one thing is, is to rebuild the confidence. I think the, the other thing is, you know, while you work on his on-the-block skills, also work on the fact that he can play facing the basket. Um, you know, Sonogo was terrific for, for UConn. But as we saw last year in college basketball, there were a lot of tall men, call them big men if you want, call them tall, whatever, six <laughs> or taller, who faced the basket, who created problems for teams. You know, and like, you know, Purdue had the national player of the year in a phenomenal, terrific back to the basket program. They didn't win a single NCAA tournament game. So the idea that you have to go, okay, well, we need to pound the ball inside. Not really. There's nothing wrong with pounding the ball inside, but it's no longer necessary. And it hasn't been necessary for a number of years now, especially in the college game. So I think with where you look at all the things he can potentially do well, and you work on all of them. I don't think you take that kid and pigeonhole him. I don't think you stick him on the block. I don't think you make him just a face-up guy. You know, I think you look at all the things he can do, the way he can run the floor, the way he can catch it, the way he can score on the block, the fact that he does have good mechanics on shooting, facing the basket, and I think you work on all of it. And the other thing, I know some people are like, well, you know, his numbers aren't – he's not going to be Trace. Let me tell you something, Hoosier Nation. I don't know if you're going to ever have another Trace Jackson Davis, yeah. okay? Ever, <laughs> ever, yeah. especially yeah. senior year Trace Jackson Davis. Stop hoping for it. Stop comparing. I don't think you're going to get another one. I don't know if we're going to see another one in college basketball because guys who are making that, moving up that path, Scott, they're probably going to be in your world in the NBA <laughs> before four years. I'm just being serious. So all this stuff about, well, you know, he's not going to, he's not, he's not going to totally replicate Trace Jackson Davis's numbers. I 100% agree, agree. I also think that's completely worthless because I don't see I don't think we're going to see another senior year Trace Jackson Davis in college basketball. I yeah. really don't. 
I completely agree, Rabbi, and, and that's um, um, due to a multitude of factors of his loyalty, his commitment, but more than anything in, in skill development was the fact, yeah, he was able to make it a full four years in college, which is a rarity of someone as his talent. I mean, I believe the expectation, if not for COVID, was he was going to test the waters. He was going to go around to different pre-draft workouts and see what he looked like, and I personally believe that's where he would have shined even more so during those three-on-three when he could uh, – you know, impress upon those executives and, and go one on O and then have dinner with them. Nonetheless, yeah, Trace had a, a fantastic NBA career. And, and then in terms of Kalel Ware, Rabbi, as Jeff Rabjohns joins us of Peaks.com here, I really liked how you brought up the minutes and the flux of Ware's season in Oregon because I think that's a, a telltale point of maybe what he went through and maybe how desirable. A fresh start in a new situation with a group of coaches that believes in him can be important. He didn't start the first game of the season, started later on, was getting 36, 37 minutes. And then, as you mentioned, kind of a month and a half later, it felt like he was in the doghouse just based off the numbers. 10 10 points, or excuse me, 10 minutes, 2 minutes. And by the end of the season, was not starting again. And I can't emphasize enough how much a situation and fit means to a player no matter what level you're playing on. Yeah, those are all really good points. Really, really good points. And that's why I think it's really important when you look at uh, any player, whether coming out of high school or transfer, you have to project. But, but with transfers, you know, in particular, you have to really project what skills they have, what physical attributes thing attributes do they have. And are they going to a college where there's a coaching staff that, that really emphasizes those things or has a plan to maximize those things. And, and I also know, I shouldn't say I know, I've been told um, that Trace Jackson Davis's development over especially his junior and senior year was something that was very appealing to Kalel Ware and, and, and to his family. That was something they looked at and said, yeah, that's really good stuff, especially, you know, uh, Trace's ability to um, block shots, to be free to, to protect the rim, to run the floor. Even though you didn't throw it to him a lot on the break, you know, he was able to rim run some, his ability to bring the ball up the floor. Um, you know, Trace didn't take shots outside of, I don't know, how many shots did he really take outside of six, eight feet? Not many. But my understanding is that I think Khalil Ware was able to, you know, get a real good sense of some of Trace Jackson Davis's workouts and see how the IU staff, meaning the you know, Woodson, the assistants, you see Rosemont, Kenny Hunter, Brian Walsh, Jordan Holtz, Adam Howard, Isaac Green, all the managers who do you know, some individual stuff, how they actually help Trace to, to add to his perimeter game. And you know, going back to your point about COVID, I know how well Trace shot in certain situations when he was training out there in L.A. Mm-hmm. because there are people out there keeping track of some numbers. And obviously, with what Trace did at Indiana, you know, we didn't see it. But just because you don't necessarily see a guy taking perimeter shots doesn't mean they can't do it. It means maybe there's something different being emphasized in a specific college offensive setting. What I'm saying is there were things as far as player development that I believe Khalil Ware and his family uh, were made aware of. And I think that's another thing that made Indiana – um, and Indiana's plan and Mike Woodson's developmental strategy, I think that made it pretty appealing to Ware and his family. 
you brought up a really interesting point that I wanted. I was going to, you led me down that road. And that's the one thing that surprised me with Trace this season was for the third time in four years, Rabbi, he did not attempt a three point shot. And I know that's something NBA scouts and executives wanted to see. Could he stretch the floor? And I expected a little bit of, I don't know. Mike Woodson allowing for, hey, we not just allow, but we want you to take at least two threes per game or something like that, knowing that would be beneficial to future Trace. Any any idea why we did not see that this year? I mean, I think a little bit of it was Trace just became so dominant. There was a little bit of why mess with what's working. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, here's a guy who is a national player of the year candidate. Um you know, he's, he's the first player in college basketball in 20, 25 years to do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. We don't have time today on the radio to go through all the, you know, to go through his resume. But, you know, the, 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 the you know, 19 plus points per game, double digit rebounds, um, you know, the 2.5 you know, or more blocks per game, 4.0 assists or more per game. I think a little bit of it was his game just got so dominant. At the college level, there was just a little bit of like, okay, let's not mess with this. And I think there was a little bit of it with, you know, with IU's offense that sometimes IU needed Trace Jackson Davis to be Superman to win Big Ten games. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit of, okay, we know how to make him Superman. We need him to be Superman. Let's just not mess with Superman. And let's just go. Everybody, Everybody got a hold of the cape tonight? Okay. Right, it trace carries home. I think there was just now. It's not quite that simplistic, but I do think that was a little bit of that to it because there were times I use offense outside of Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hedgefino. It did kind of bog down. It, it really bogged down. But Trace was so good. I mean, I remember talking to a couple Big Ten assistant coaches, and I was like, "What exactly do you do when you when you try to play against Trace?" And they were like, "You hope and you pray that he screws up." And I was like, "Well, okay, but what are you actually <laughs> trying to do?" They're like. You looked at our roster. We don't have anybody who can stop him. You just try to, like, annoy him a little bit and hope that he only goes for 20 instead of 30. So I, I think a little bit of that was just – and I also think Trace reached a level. There was great comfort in certain things that he had incredible confidence in. Yeah. So instead of going to something where there's less confidence, sometimes you ride what you're confident in. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jeff Rabjohns of P.com, nice enough to take some time with us. Jeff, last question on my end. First domino of what Hoosiers fans hope are many in what has been a Anticipated to be a portal year. Uh, you look at guys like Jalen Deloach uh, and Chris Ledlam. Where's next to fall? Where does the attention kind of turn uh, for this group as they continue to try to hammer down their needs in the portal? Uh, well, I think I think fans should, should turn their turn their attention more toward guards and wings. You know, I, I think that's where we're going to see more attention. And then from the IU perspective, there was attention all across the boards: guards, wings, forwards, uh, and, and and post players. But Indiana has, you know, Indiana wanted up front, they wanted, you know, elite talent to have a chance to start. Well, you, you have that in Clawware. You wanted depth. We have that in six foot nine, Peyton Sparks from Ball State. So, yeah, Deloach and the, and the, other, the other post players, I, if I'm an IU fan, I, I would not focus my attention there at this point in time. 
Um, I would focus my attention more guards, wings, and players like that. Obviously, Dalton Connect from Northern Colorado is a player that Indiana has you know, talked with quite a bit. They had a very good Zoom call with him. He's made a visit out to Oregon, and he's mulling where else he wants to visit. If he wants to visit, that's up to him. Um, you know, L. Ellis from Louisville is somebody that I use taking a look at, and I'll still maybe a little early to be determined if he's a real prospect that, that is going to consider IU, but um, he's somebody to kind of keep in mind. And obviously, Chris Ledlam from, from Harvard, you know, he, he's, a, he's a primary target. You know, he, he just came and did an official visit at Indiana. Um, so IU has a lot of focus on him. There's some other schools on the East Coast that are looking at him. Uh, he, he has a visit scheduled uh, as of this point uh, for Tennessee. Um, so that's another school to keep in, keep in mind with him. But Chris Ledlam's very veteran presence, you know, 6'6 forward, average nearly 19 points per game. I think everybody knows the Ivy League, you can only play four years. You don't get a fifth year in the Ivy so everybody knew he was going to be transferring, and IU did a really good job of, of scouting the Ivy League as far as four-year guys who weren't going to, you know, who were going to have to transfer if they wanted to keep playing in college. So he's somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, Nicholas Timberlake from out there in Towson, uh, six foot four shooting guard. He, he's another very good scorer, highly coveted guy. He's already made an official visit to North Carolina and to Kansas. Um, he is scheduled to go visit UConn. I know UConn's making a big, big, big run at him. Um, you know, Indiana's been working on him really hard. Indiana had a very good Zoom meeting with him. They're working to try to get him on campus. Uh, and I think I, I, I'm very certain, um, you know, I'll say this. I get the vibe there's going to be more names emerge. I think there's going to be more people put their names in the portal. And I think there's going to be more portal prospects who potentially might uh, take a look at Indiana here over the next week, week and a half or so like that. And I, and I think as far as logistics, I think I think sometimes this gets overshadowed. There are some dead periods here in April where players can't go visit. So it's just a recruiting calendar. Some people ask, well, why, why did that kid wait till the weekend to visit? He had to. He had to. So I think, I think we're going to see, you know, as we get through, we're currently in a dead period right now, so there's not going to be any visits uh, until Friday at the absolute earliest. Um, but I think you're going to see more than likely some new names appear for, for Indiana. And if I'm an IU fan, I think guard wing forward, those types. That, that, that's where I would focus my attention. With Jeff Rabjohns at Pigs.com. Rabbi, I'm curious. Xavier Johnson only appeared in 11 games. He announced that he planned to pursue that medical hardship waiver. Do we know for certain? Does he know for certain that he will get it, has gotten it? Or is that still a question to be answered? That is still a question to be answered. Um, the way it technically works on, on medical hardship waivers, which is what we all commonly call a redshirt, uh, is that after the season's over, the school applies for it. And there's actually an application process with, you know, documentation and all that kind of stuff. So Indiana has applied for the, for the, for the medical redshirt for Xavier Johnson. And those things typically take two weeks, maybe a little longer. Sometimes they get done within a week. But a, a week is like the absolute fastest those things get done. Usually you're talking more like two or three weeks. So Indiana is hopeful here maybe in the next week or two that they might hear an answer on, on Xavier Johnson's application. And they're hopeful, but there, there's no guarantee on these things. There's no guarantee. So Indiana's going to wait and see. Um, and then there is a second part of the process. If you don't get the medical red shirt, then, then you can appeal. 
So let's say it gets denied. That's not the end of the world. <clears throat> you can't have an opportunity to appeal for it. But as of right now, that is still to be determined in the future. And that's exactly why I wanted to ask. That was not something we should assume is done at this point. I don't know why he wouldn't get it, but that, that's another th- uh, thing for them to check off this offseason. Rabbi, appreciate the time. As always, great insight. Hey, always good hanging out with you. Take care, boys. See you. Thanks, Jeff. That's, that's Jeff Rab Johns of Peaks.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Scott Agnes, Eddie Garrison alongside as well. So please, you've chosen to spend part of your Tuesday afternoon with us here on The Fan. We dove in deep on the prospect versus prospect battle between Anthony Richardson and Will Levis last segment. We dive further into that and go big picture NFL as well. With NFL Network analyst Charles Davis, he'll be a part of the wall-to-wall live coverage on NFL Network for the 2023 NFL Draft in Kansas City, April 27th through the 29th. Always good to have him on the show. Charles, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Doing great. I'm jealous you're going to get to enjoy some KC barbecue here in a couple weeks. Um, (laughs) But outside of that envy, I'm doing good. Oh, that's, listen, I understand. Listen, I have a lot of envy for a lot of people doing a lot of things. So <laughs> I, I, I get it. Because right now I'd like to be down to Circle City going by the, was it the Rocket Fizz place, wherever yep. that candy store is down there. I'd like to be down there just diving in and, and dealing with my 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 high sugar intake. But <laughs> can't can't get that done, so I'll just have to live live another day here. Well, you can live vicariously through us, perhaps, and always appreciate it. I will do it. I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Charles, last conversation that that we had had a previous segment before we brought you in was we're we're getting cabin fever. Everybody is, right? We've got about 16 days of the draft. The conversations surrounding what do the Colts do at four, assuming they stay there, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. I view them both as project prospects. I want to get your thoughts on that and – where you lean with the two of them, if the upside of Richardson is, is too great to pass on, or if the arm strength and the coachability of Will Levis might make him the better of the two. Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? Yes. I mean, this is this is where all of us who get to be the, you know, what's that show Dax Shepard has, armchair expert, right? If we get a chance to be those guys, a lot easier than having to actually put it on the table and make that decision, because I think you've laid it out pretty well about both of them. Richardson is last year's Trayvon Walker in a sense. Remember, Trayvon goes number one ahead of Aiden Hutchinson. But if you stack together their accomplishments side by side, it's not even it's not even a fight, right? It's right. not even a comparison. But Trent Baalke, GM of, of Jacksonville, loves traits, believes they can be developed, and has hit on those throughout his time frame. He went for it again. And Trayvon Walker did not have a bad year. But Aiden Hutchinson had an exceptional year. Okay, he had the year that you would expect. Now, over the long haul, let's see if Trayvon Walker can up his game, become that sack guy, et cetera, et cetera. But at least you knew what you were getting in Hutchinson. At least, let's be honest with it. Every draft, we think we know what we're getting, and Hutchinson confirmed what we thought we were getting last year. In this case, it's a little bit different because Levis did not have the year last year that was expected of him. Now, if you are a fan of Will Levis, Different offensive coordinator again, lost some receivers, offensive line wasn't as good. You know, when you like someone, you can make it work. Anthony Richardson is breathtaking when you watch him in person. The ball jumps off of his hand when he takes off and runs 80 yards. When you see him on the hoof 
And by the way, Will Levis is a good-looking kid now. I mean, he, weight room, is he is not afraid of it. <laughs> really, 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 really put together. But he would be a clear two to Richardson in this draft that way. But if you're going to ask me who I think I have to get ready, if i got to get ready to play for next year, I'm taking Will Levis over Anthony Richardson. If you're talking about for the future, you might want to bank on the idea that you can get Richardson ready to go down the road. But remember this, it's 13 collegiate starts for Anthony Richardson. 13. Talking with Charles Davis here, the NFL Network. And, yeah, that's that's a huge maybe yellow flag there when you consider what he might look like at that next level here. And I think the thing yeah. that I, I'm curious most about here is, is, is is Richardson that shiny object over here that's just going to be too attractive to <laughs> pass up on, right? Because of the curiosity, yeah. because of the unknown, and because of that unique body and skill set that all these teams are after, you're just unsure of what it might turn into. Let's face it, you guys follow the game as well as anyone. Have you ever met a coach who would not look at Anthony Richardson and run back into their bosses and go, I could get him ready. (laughs) Exactly. Right? You're not worth your salt as a coach if you don't believe you can coach that guy into getting better and being that person, right? So that's when, to your point, it's going to be hard to turn him down just for that reason alone. You will have coaches in there clamoring for that opportunity. But I do believe that with the 13 starts, with the things that have to be ironed out footwork-wise – Pocket presence. You'll see times on tape, at least in my mind. Let me just use my grading, okay, if you want to call it that. I've seen him on tape in the pocket actually turn into trouble instead of away from trouble. Okay, so he still needs to work in that area in my mind. But when you see him flick his wrist and it goes 60 yards, oh, I can work on that <laughs> trouble. Don't you worry about that. Okay, we'll get that right. Well, Levis – What you're counting on with both of them is, in a sense, Josh Allen has skewed things. Because when he came out of school, he was a low 50% thrower, remember? I did his playoff game. I say I. Me and my team did his playoff game against the Colts in 2020. That was his third year in the league. He had improved 16 percentage points in completion percentage, which is unheard of in the NFL. Okay, if you improve five percentage points coming out of college, it's a big jump. 16. So if you like these guys, guess what you're going to say? Well, I'm going to go really Richardson. Guess what you're going to say? Josh Allen did it. We can do that. Josh Allen is still the outlier. Okay? Yeah. You can't really go anywhere else because I, I can hear now someone screaming, Jalen Hurts. Go back and check Jalen Hurts' completion percentage <laughs> at Alabama and Oklahoma, and especially at Oklahoma. Uh-uh. He doesn't count. He's in the high 60s. Doesn't work that way. Charles, let's say, and I agree with you on that, that Josh Allen is the outlier and the exception to the rule of how tough it can be to fix accuracy issues. What if you're not looking for a, a historic 16-point jump? What if you're looking for, for maybe a 5-7 to seven percentage yeah. point increase for him? How difficult is that for a coaching staff, whether it's over the course of two or three years, whether it's over the course of one season? How difficult is that to kind of massage into a quarterback's arsenal? More difficult than probably we give it credit for. But what it really would come down to, in my opinion, is what a lot of coaches would say, and I'm going to go coach speak here, but I think you guys will get it because it's pretty plain. Make the routine plays routinely. Yeah, That's how you'll get the 5 to 7%. 
Make the routine plays routinely. Don't miss the layups. Take the check down. Hit the right option. You hear what I'm talking about. Some of what you have a problem with with Anthony, some of what we have a problem with Anthony Richardson with the low percentage is when we just see it in raw numbers, we think that's all on him. That's not true. He, if you watch the tape, there are a bunch of drops from his receivers. Where he gets in trouble for me is that footwork. Sometimes his arm can overcome his footwork. And sometimes the footwork actually overwhelms his arm in, in terms of accuracy, never in terms of it getting there. That's not the issue. That ball will get there. But it might not be in the right place. It might not be in the right spot. It might be where it's now in play for the defensive back. You see what I'm talking about. Can you hit the receiver the way you're supposed to? It's as simple as this. Peyton Manning, and of course he's another outlier because he is a obvious Hall of Famer. But pick your best quarterback that you've ever seen play. When they hit the receiver who's supposed to stay on his feet, they keep him on his feet. When they want to run him into the post safety and you want him to drop so he doesn't get clocked, they put the ball down low and make the receiver go get it or stop him before he gets to the safety. That's what the best quarterbacks do. Anthony Richardson, I don't know that he's ready to do that routinely yet. Doesn't mean he can't down the road. He's a great kid. You spend time with him, you're really going to like him because I certainly do. And I think he's got the intelligence that you want. But 13 starts is tough. But the last thing I'll say on it, and I'll shut up on this one, guys, you're not going to get too many quarterbacks like Brock Purdy who have 40-something starts anymore. As good as these kids are nowadays, they're not going to stay in school for four or five years. They're going to come out in two or three if they're a red shirt. And that's what you're going to get. So Coach Parcell's formula of having X number of starts, X number of wins, three-time captain, blah, 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 I'm not saying it's kicked to the curb. It's a great formula. We just won't have as many that reach the criteria of it anymore. You're, you're taking more leaps and more gambles on things. Mark Sanchez was 16 starts in his career. Davis Mills coming out of Stanford, I think, was 11 or 12. <laughs> so <laughs> this, is, this is where we're going nowadays. Yeah, the sample size isn't quite there, and I think the questions for both of these quarterbacks are a plenty. But that's why it's the NFL draft. So much intrigue and and so much to be determined down the road as we're talking here with Charles Davis of the NFL Network. And Charles, you kind of teased it earlier. Your your process. And I'm a very process oriented guy myself. Yeah. Take us through what you do over these last couple of months leading up to the the coverage of the NFL draft, and what works for you systematically to have a full grasp on all these top players that you'll be discussing. Yeah, I'm. you know, as you said, we're about two weeks away, right? A little more than two weeks. So this week is is going back over the guys that, quote-unquote, I kind of know. Does that make sense? So I've been through them, been through the process, going to go back over them again. Next week's going to be, for lack of a better term, since we've used all right, outliers. The guys from smaller schools, the guys that your scouting friends give you a tip on, hey, I was just at such and such a place, I just saw this one kid, and now you got to go check him out just in case his name pops up. We all have some pride in what we're doing. We know we're never going to know every single player in the draft, or at least we don't feel like we are, but we try to, if that makes any sense at all. And I feel like between myself and Daniel Jeremiah, you know, sitting up there, there's a pretty decent chance that if one doesn't have it, the other will at some point, and that's kind of where we want to go. Last year, I believe the Colts got us. Rodney Thomas coming out of Yale. You know, we looked at each other, and I was like, you know, um, there's nowhere else to look now. It's just you and me. <laughs> it's all we got. And, and, and he shrugged, and I shrugged, 
And it felt horrible because you worked so hard. And plus, here's the other part. You want to get that young man his due. Mm-hmm. You, don't want, you don't want to feel like, well, we didn't know who he was. That, that dampens his day. And, and I feel horrible like that for Rodney Thomas. But we immediately went to work, called our con- you know, texted our contacts, got stuff in right away, did it. But, boy, that one hurt. You know, you just like, I feel bad for him. And by the way, turned out to be a pretty good pick for the Colts. Yeah, and more than that, too, it's probably the best day in this player's history. And so, yeah, yeah, you want to celebrate all they've accomplished and what lies ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the hard part is, as you prepare, you can have upwards of, and each person has a different number, and I'm not trying to put a number on it and look at how many people I'm studying. But if you don't think that Daniel Jeremiah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and Mel Kuyper Jr., right, and Todd McShay, and all the great ones out there, and even the ones who aren't on TV, the Dame Bruglers and the Matt Millers, and I can go on all day. If you don't think that they've studied, you know, upwards of 1,000 kids, then you've missed your bet. Like, that's what they do. They work their butts off. I'm playing catch-up. I do the NFL season. I come rushing in. I want to be on the same level they are, but it's harder to do just because I'm not doing it year-round. Now, if that sounds like an excuse, I apologize because that's not what it's meant for. It's just that's what you're trying to do with all these youngsters. You're trying to get all of them. And inevitably, the NFL finds somebody that you didn't have. And here they come, and you just want to get it right for them. You, I, I feel like we owe it to those young people. Yeah, and Charles, I don't believe that was an excuse at all, what you were saying. I think it speaks more to the beast that the NFL has already become where you just named off about a half dozen names. That's literally their full-time job is to study things for one weekend a year, essentially. They, but it's that big do, of a it, task. It is. It really is. And they do such a great job, and I'm missing people. And you know how it is when you get up there, like let's say you get an award or you're at a wedding and you want to start thanking people and, you know, you do something, you always miss people. Inevitably. And and inevitably, and they call you, well, there's a lot of other people who do that. These are just people that I'm, you know, I know, I know what they do. (laughs) I know that they're out there. I know that they're working at it. All those things that go along with it. Look, it's Daniel Jeremiah's Bucky Brooks at my place. Who would be those guys that I look at and go, my God, you guys, the, the plethora of names that you have. I've got to get back to work. So as soon as we hang up, guess what I'm going to do? Right back to tape. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, last question on my end. Uh, a mutual friend of all of ours, a co-worker of yours, I, I like to hit him with this before we close, is Brandon Gordon. I tell him that uh, he, he, he virtually gives me a hard time whenever I uh, try to return a kickoff and don't get it to the 25-yard line. Uh, I, I'm curious if you get any you know friendly, like tongue-in-cheek banter uh, from, from fans of yours just in general uh, or maybe just are, are irritated by your virtual commentary w- w- with Madden and you entering your sixth oh. season now on that side. Without question. I think Brandon and I talk about it all the time about, you know, God Almighty. Everybody, everywhere we go, they're, they're, they're saying we're yelling at them for doing what they're doing. So we actually, at, it's, at a certain stage, we actually made a conscious decision to try and, okay, soften it. Now, we didn't think it was all that hard, but we're like, okay, let's try and give people a little bit more of what they want. But I will give you this last example. A very good friend of mine is a head football coach in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Okay, Frank Delano, the Haddonfield, Haddonfield Bulldogs. And he brought me in to talk to his team one summer. And, of course, no one had any questions about anything to do with anything we talked about. Hey, how come you yell at me when I'm playing Madden? That was right out of the gate. And so my, my standard answer has become, 
well, when you go for it on fourth and 66, what do you want me to do? And, that, and that's just kind of where we go from there. But, look, everybody wants to be aggressive playing, more power to them. Brandon and I are probably commenting like we're doing a real game. <laughs> And we have to remember, hey, in this game, why not go for it? You know, why why not go ahead and do it? So hopefully that's softened over time. But we certainly are not yelling. We're just glad that you're playing. Thank goodness it gives us a job. <laughs> Charles, last thing here, outside of this quarterback conversation that's relentless, yeah. what's, what's one of the favorite things you're enjoying about this draft class or a, a subject matter that you're interested to see play out on draft night? Well, I said before this draft that, in normal years, we may have like seven receivers going the first round, the way the game's been going. I don't believe we have seven receivers in this year's first round, but I still believe we have seven rounds worth of receivers. But what I am enjoying is watching what is happening now because the receivers have had the advantage for a few years. Guess what's happening? The defensive backs are starting to catch up. Because I said this a few years ago, and I stand by it. If you're the third or fourth receiver on your team and you have a great skill set, you ought to go play corner. You know why? You're going to be a number one corner quicker there than you are going to be at a receiver position. And with the body types of these receivers who have gotten longer, faster, stronger, the whole deal, guess what we're getting again? The longer corner again. Go check out Julius Brents from Kansas State. He looks like a receiver playing corner. Okay, look at what Soft Gardner did last year, looking like a you know six foot three inch corner. Tariq Woolen, a six foot four inch corner. We're starting to get those guys back again. Now, will any of them be Mel Blunt where you get a rule change in your name? No, because <laughs> Mel Blunt is the truth. And by the way, I saw Mel a bunch of weeks ago. Mel's in his 70s, and I guarantee he can still do a couple series for you, and the receiver <laughs> will not get off the line of scrimmage. There is no chance. He looks fantastic. Not going to hear any arguments from us there, Charles. Always appreciate you making time for us. Looking forward to the draft coverage April 27th through the 29th in Kansas City on NFL Network. And uh, have some Q39 for me, please, while you're there. I certainly will. And thanks, as always, for you guys. You're always so terrific to me, and I just want you to know how much I appreciate you, and I appreciate your smarts. I also will get smarter when I get on the show with you guys. Be good. Right back at you. Thanks, Charles. Bye-bye. That's Charles Davis, an NFL Network analyst. He'll be a part of NFL Network's wall-to-wall coverage of the 2023 NFL Draft, April 27th to the 29th. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Scott Agnes with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, and last night a big moment for the Fever franchise. Not only acquiring new talent, but for the first time in franchise history, selecting first overall they were due it had been many years in which I thought they'd land that first pick did not have that luck until last night and then they were able to use that top overall pick with a no-brainer decision they called it with Aliyah Boston from South Carolina and then Grace Berger seventh overall and now we welcome in the first year head coach of the Indiana Fever to the program Christy Sides Christy take us through last night and how critical those decisions were to what you and Lynn Dunn are trying to establish with this franchise. Yes, sir. Well, hey, guys. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, just still flying high from from last night with, uh, you know, our picks. Um, you know, you said it. I mean, the, the no-brainer pick with Aaliyah Boston, um, I'll start with her. I mean, she's just a solid player, you know, under the basket for us. Defense is what we're going to emphasize. 
Um, she's going to be able to play in a system where you they can't put two and three people around her. So she's going to feel like she's uh, died and gone to heaven with just having some fresh air to, to work with and some room to work with. But the, the thing about Aaliyah is the intangibles to me and to Lynn, and that was what was important. And um, once you guys meet her, you, you guys will all meet her and talk to her. I mean, she just brings a different um, – just a different mindset. I mean, she's from the islands and she just came over and, and sacrificed her family to, to get to reach this moment and this goal. And now she's doing that. And we're lucky. I mean, we are, we're so lucky to have her. She did a great job on good morning America this morning, but um, that that's Aaliyah. And then Grace Berger. I mean, gosh, I mean, is she, I, I think I heard the fans in the arena yell out in the, the war room whenever her name was called. And I was able to spend a lot of time watching her play this season, being so close. Um, just saw her put in some critical moments. You know, she she contributes um, in several different ways. I mean, I know a lot of people want to talk about her shot, but I mean, the the lady can play. She can do several different things, and and she's going to be a great um, a, a great piece uh, to what we already have. But for her, incredible human being, incredible person, loves the game of basketball, and that's important. And culture is important to us. And so those two were a, were a home run. Coach, thanks for making time for us. The first time I was able to see Aaliyah Boston or really take her in, what stood out to me was her ability to hold her own uh, and be a valuable contributor amongst the best in the world on that Team USA group that participated in the FIBA World Cup uh, this past yeah. fall. It, General Manager Lynn Dunn called it not an easy choice, but the obvious choice once you did your homework. What went into that homework and what really stood out to you that, okay, that this really is a can't-miss opportunity for us with Aaliyah? Yeah, I mean, just kind of what I said a, a few minutes ago with with all of her intangibles. I mean, she is. Um, if you want to get specific with her basketball, I mean, the, she's been playing where they, you know, uh, opponents have put a double and a triple team around her. She's a, so that made her a, a really good passer. Um, she was able to play with a, another big post, so she was able to really work some hollow action. Um, she's able to step out just so, you know, and she can hit that 15 footer. Um, she hasn't been in the pick and roll a lot, which that's something that they don't do at South Carolina. And as you guys know, that's something that, you know, that's a huge part of our game. So we're looking forward to, she knows that we've talked about it. She's, um, going to get a lot of training in over the next couple of weeks. And that's something that's going to be focused on. Um, but just those things, the, the defensive, um, she's going to alter shots. She's, she can move, uh, laterally. Um, we're going to be able to keep people in front of us. Not we're going to not try to switch her on to, on to point guards. Um, we're going to try to help her there. But she can she can break down and guard some folks um, if if she needs to. She proved that um, at South Carolina. But just what she brings to the table, she brings leadership skills. Um, she brings. I went and watched some practice um, a few weeks ago, and she's she was actually talking to the players and telling each player where to go for each position. As a post player, that's a that's a gift when you're able to to have that kind of leadership and have that understanding of the game. And um, that was really exciting to watch um, just her with her teammates that day. With Christy Sides, the Indiana Fever head coach, and you've settled in presumably with your position. You've hired and filled out your staff, and it's soon going to be cut-down time, right? Like you look at the roster that Ryan has up on the website, there's 19 players, 15 of whom, Christy, have are rookies or one year of experience. So first of all, you got to trim down the roster. But then I think the biggest question becomes, how do you strike a balance between having all this young talent, developmental talent, with also having some veterans, the know-how, the, the Kelsey Mitchell types that can both help the players and uh, reiterate your message in the locker room? 
Yeah, I think that was our focus coming into free agency. Um, when I first got the job, it, it was a need um, that I recognized, um, you know, early. You've got all this talent, this young talent, and, you know, you – it's it's not the same when you get to this level. It's quicker, stronger, faster, and you can't – until you get into it and thrown into it, you just can't experience it. So when I first took the job, that was one of the questions I asked, you know, each of those rookies from last year. Like, you had to have learned something, you know, about yourself during that, that season, and they were – you know, all of them – almost had the same response. It was just a whole different level of basketball. And so it was really important for us to put um, some veteran players around them that um, have been thrown in the fire, have gone through different, um, been on different teams, had different experiences. Um, Erica Wheeler comes to mind. I, I was with her in Atlanta this last year and really was impressed with how um, she, she took it upon herself, her and, and Kia Vaughn to, to bring in the rookies and make sure they were, you know, doing the right thing because this is the first time in their life they haven't been told exactly where to go and, and what to do every moment of the day like you are in college. And, and that was huge for her. And so I really thought, you know, this is where she is now in her career. That would be huge for us to have here. So that was, you know, my initial thought with her. Um, just had some other great culture pieces who are also great basketball players with Christy Wallace. Um, coming in here, uh, re-signing Victoria Vivians, who is is now in that position. Um, had a lot of conversations with her over this last these last few months, just about what her new role is going to be. She's not a young player anymore. She's got responsibilities and leadership responsibilities. And um, and then Kelsey Mitchell. I mean, you mentioned her. I, I save her for last. I mean, you know, I was here when we drafted Kelsey before, and she's grown a lot. Um, she's had to learn a lot on her own without having some of those veteran leaders, and also having a change in coaching staff so I've really tried to spend some time with her and give her uh, you know ownership of this team I mean this is this is you know this is her team and she's gonna um, she's really looking forward to this upcoming season with all this talent and and learning how to be a leader and fill that role I mean she's not the vocal leader as you will all the time but she gets it done she's one of the hardest workers on the team but she wants to grow in that other role as well and she did a great job at the at the draft last night she was the representative um, for the league and just spoke with all those guys and just did a really good job and represented us um, amazing last night. Coach Christy Sides of the Indiana Fever, nice to take some time with us. Coach, I know you alluded to her a little bit in your opening remarks with us, but as you are leading an organization, you love inspiring the next generation of young girls that are going to want to play in the WNBA. It's rare that the stars align, though, that a hometown or as close to a hometown prospect actually ends up ending with that team. Of course, I'm referring to Grace Berger growing up in Louisville, being a big Fever fan. What was that whole process like for her and, and the stars kind of aligning, not only for her dream coming true, but her having the talent and the, the playmaking ability to succeed at this next level? Yeah, I mean, Grace is special. Um, she brings a lot to the table um, with, with her skills. Um, you know, just to hear her story, like I when I talked to her last night, she was just like, Coach, this is right where I want to be. And so when you have players that, you know, with a struggling franchise in the last couple of years and just to have people who, who recognize and remember what it was like before, you know, what Lynn did and Tamika Catchings did and how they built this. And, you know, that's where we're trying to get back to. And, and Grace is a great piece of that because she understands the history and the tradition that was here and, and wants to, to work to get that back. And then, I mean, it was just exciting, you know, the, the, Gosh, I don't even do a lot of social media, but the amount of tweets and Instagram messages I've gotten just over Grace Berger coming to the fever has been really amazing. So I just keep trying to respond to all of them with, get your season tickets. That's what we need to do. <laughs> yeah, if you could carry some of that momentum that the IU women's program built the last couple of years and, and bring that 
here north. And I think the other thing I want to highlight here is the fact that there's some stability within the franchise in terms of a home court now. And I think that is incredibly valuable now. You're not splitting time at three different venues. Games are all back at the Fieldhouse this summer. And and I think that's something that's really encouraging, especially for you guys with the team, but also fans as well. Oh, gosh, it's huge. I mean, I, you know, as a fan having to, oh, where where's the fever playing tonight? You know, which traffic am I going to have to send in, to, in mm-hmm. tonight or which direction? And, you know, that's a lot. And and thank you to all those fans out there who, who did that and made those drives wherever, you know, our, our games were held um, the last few seasons. But when I left here before, they were making a plan for that you know, the, the, uh, all the work that was going to be done to the arena. So we were kind of in that process. So I didn't have to experience that. So what a great time to come back. You know, I walk into the, to the locker room and to the offices and everything is completely brand new and changed. And, you know, for free agency, when you're able to bring in some of these players, you know, from what it was before to what we're able to show these free agents now, um, the resources that are available. You know, Coach Carlisle has been awesome. He texted me last night. He actually wanted to get, <laughs> you know, a couple of the players' phone numbers. Um, they've been so supportive, and which is huge. I mean, when you have a brother um, across the street that is really pulling for you, um, that, that makes a huge difference. But, yeah, just the resources, it's it's a world-class facility now. And, I mean, these guys are able to play in one of the best facilities in, in America right now. So that's exciting. And Indianapolis has been great. Uh, we, we take care of our players. We put them up right next to the arena. So some of us who've been other places where there's been some long drives, you know, you're able to walk right into the arena and, and get to work. Um, there's just a lot of great things. And, and you talked about the momentum. Like, I was talking to my staff this morning, like, what can we do to keep this momentum going? Like, it's been a long time since this much, much excitement's been, you know, with the fever. So we've got to figure out how to keep this going. Chrissy, appreciate the time and uh, best of luck this season. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. Guys, thank y'all so much. Y'all have a great day. You as well. That's Christy Sides, first-year head coach with the Indiana Fever.